0: Howdy! Welcome to the final episode of Make and Change, one-sided conversation over Barbara Ehrenreich's nickel-and-dimed. This episode is called The Sisyphean Struggles of the Working Poor. Barbara Ehrenreich presents several themes throughout the book. The main themes I'm zeroing in on today are the Herculean struggles of these extraordinary F- ordinary people, the brutal exploitation the poor face, and the incompetent aid and flawed perspectives of the middle class. Much of Erin Reich's narrative is dedicated to the depiction of her valiant co-workers. Rather than describing the poor via statistics or data as most are wont to do, she chooses to show them to be fallible humans, flawed survivors struggling to make ends meet. From the young Stan, who we learn meant to attend technical school while working but ended up dropping out because of that work, to Marlene, who shows fire and anger and the desire to unionize, we are able to see the rich fabric of different people who all share the same problems. Page 183 to 185. To me, some of Ehrenreich's most powerful characters are those she provides only a glimpse of. On Ehrenreich's final break at Walmart, she meets a girl who enthusiastically describes her daughter and her desire to unionize in order to provide stability and a life for her child. Page 190 to 191. When visiting a community emergency assistance program, Ehrenreich briefly sees, quote, Two real thin black men, Somalis, I guess, from their accents, and since there are a lot of them in the Twin Cities area, are saying bread, bread, and being told, no bread, no bread. Page 173. That's all she says about the pair, but to me, they're heartbreaking and tragic figures. Next up, exploitation. In order for there to be a hero, there must also be a villain. A villain. In this case, that is corporations and their cruel treatment of their employees. Ehrenreich says that Walmart's appetite for human flesh is insatiable, as if describing some ravenous beast, some Grendel-esque monstrosity. Page 184. Apparently that desire for human stew extends to children as well. Some of the clothes that Ehrenreich is responsible for restocking are, quote, being sewn by children as young as 12 in a sweatshop in Honduras. Page 185. Even aid to the poor is being criminalized. An organization called Food Not Bombs was distributing food to the homeless in a park, but their efforts were met with the arrest of several of the middle-aged white vegans responsible for donating the food. Page 235. Overall, Ehrenreich describes America's system as being a tragic cycle, condemning us to ever deeper inequality, and in the long run, no one benefits but the agents of repression themselves. End quote. Page 231. One of Ehrenreich's driving motivations is to humanize the very poor, and cause the reader to simplify with their experiences. In this, she is successful because her narrative gives them time to shine. On the flip side, Ehrenreich also seeks to show the horrors of a greedy corporate machine, and to do so, she changes technique. When informing the readers about the doings of the company she finds employment at, Ehrenreich chooses to rely more heavily on statistics, this brings greater merit and a scientific understanding of the circumstances she's in, giving the reader an understanding of both the depth and scope of issues at hand, and a greater respect for Ehrenreich and increased credibility. Finally, a failing aid and a misinformed middle class. This is really the second component of Ehrenreich's novel. The first two listed, exploitation and heroism, go hand in hand. This book is meant, in part, as a call to action and social criticism. Ehrenreich points out that 60% of Americans live below what constitutes a, quote, living wage of $14 an hour, page 213 to 214. She says something is wrong, very wrong, when a single person in good health, a person who in addition to possessing a working car, can barely support herself by the sweat of her brow. You don't need a degree in economics to see that wages are too low and rents too high, page 199. Her narrative proves the majority of the very poor are not drug addicts, thieves, or welfare stealers. Instead, they take pride in themselves and their work despite receiving so little in return. Page 212 and 220 Other books blame the state of those in poverty as their own fault. Ehrenreich defends their efforts fiercely. Instead she levels her anger and wrath at those who would ignore, judge, or criticize these people. She berates her audience, saying that an attitude of condescension and disapproval are inapplicable in the face of the efforts of the poor, and instead we of the middle and upper classes ought to feel shame. Guilt doesn't go anywhere near far enough, she says. The appropriate emotion is shame, shame at our own dependency, in this case, on the unpaid labor of others. 220-221 to 221. In my opinion, Ehrenreich is successful in this goal. She has made me feel ashamed for the judgment I've unknowingly slapped onto America's poor. She makes me want to look at others with greater kindness and understanding. tip more, judge less. She makes me want to learn more about the circumstances of those living around me. I would 100% recommend this book. From the perspective of someone who is deeply interested in social sciences, including sociology and economy, it's very informative. Furthermore, Ehrenreich's narrative and writing is also entertaining. She writes genuinely engaging material and makes it effortless to empathize with her and her co-workers. If you want to read books to learn more about the world and the people in it, I'd highly recommend this for you. There's so much more to discuss about Ehrenreich's novels, but this is all the time we have for today. See you later, and have a good one.